wonderful singing. You may be seated. Thank you for that. Uh, we'll start a new series this morning, run for a few weeks. We're going to talk about prayer. Prayer is an essential part of our Christian life. Uh, it's like oxygen for breathing. It's an essential part of life, health, and growth. Uh, without it, you, you will not grow. You will not thrive as a Christian. Uh, and so early in the discipleship process, uh, let me back up. When, when you first get saved, uh, a, a new believer's class One of the first things they would teach in a new believer's class, one of the first things we teach in a new believer's class is get in the Word of God and and start that prayer life, that communication with God. Uh, Discipleship picks up on that theme, and discipleship is constantly driving that narrative uh, to get us alone with God and get us talking to God in prayer. Now, I almost asked Stephanie, was just right here a moment ago leading worship, I almost got Stephanie just to linger a moment and... Let's uh, let her uh, recite the Lord's Prayer for us. Uh, if you happen to be a fly on the wall or at our house, every once in a while you'll hear uh, words coming from our bedroom that sound like this. Padre nuestro que estás en los cielos, sanctificado sea tu nombre. Uh, Susan is in Stephanie's Spanish class with many other of you here, and uh, she took a whiteboard marker and wrote all the way across the bathroom mirror, all the way right up to my side. Thankfully, she left me a little spot to shave there, but she's written across the mirror in our bedroom, the Lord's Prayer in Spanish. So every morning while she's in there, you know, brushing her teeth, she's saying the Lord's Prayer in Spanish. And, and uh, while she's uh, doing her makeup and hair, she's in there reciting the Lord's Prayer in Spanish. This morning, I want to look at the Lord's Prayer, but depending upon which tradition you grew up in, you may or may not have recited the Lord's Prayer as a regular part of your religious tradition. If you grew up Roman Catholic, it was a very rich part of your tradition that you grew up in, or or Orthodox, or if you were raised in Europe, it was probably, or even South America or Central America, the more richer part of your religious tradition, you, you recited Our Father. Now, what's curious to me is you may have recited Our Father as punishment. You know what I'm saying? Go say six Our Fathers and five and a half, you know, blessed be Mary's. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I never understood why it was punishment, but okay, maybe it's just to get you talking to God again. Certainly, you've been to a wedding. And someone stood up and, and, and sang Our Father, sang the Lord's Prayer in a wedding. That's, that's something that I think all of us have probably experienced a little of. And uh, it's a beautiful prayer. I've been exposed to many great prayers, and I, I've told you this before, and I, I'll tell, keep saying it as often as I get an opportunity because I want you to, to actually do this if you get a chance. Some of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard, I've heard in foreign countries. Some of the most beautiful prayers that I've ever shared in uh, were when the Romanians were coming out of communism and I would sit in the room and I couldn't understand a word that was being said so I always grab somebody who's bilingual and put them, park them right beside me and I say, if they start praying in this service I want you translating the prayers back to me in English so I can understand what they're saying and some of the prayers that were coming back into English for me there were some of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard in a room with 20, 30, 40, 50 people, depends on where you're at in a village, packed into a little tiny room, everybody down on their knees, having a prayer service. 
and listening to those peasants, just poor farmers that live off the praying some of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard in my life. Same thing in, in Asia. Everybody covers their head. when you, The women cover their head with the veil when they start to pray. And, and, and as everyone bows, hearing the prayers coming back from Hindi to English or from, uh, you know, Manipuri to English, they're some of the most richest, moving prayers I've ever heard in my life. And when I ask the translator, tell, tell me what they're saying now, and they start bringing it back into English, uh, they're praying with such openness they're praying with such honesty, with such transparency. And, and these poor peasants are praying jimongous prayers. Lord, as we try to bring our village to Christ, God, as we try to bring our country to Christ, God, we pray that you would heal. I mean, they're praying for nations and lands and people groups and, and, and lost relatives and, and, and the town drunk and bully. And, the, and they're, they're praying big prayers. Little people praying humongous prayers in beautiful language to God. And then somehow I think about my own prayers, or sometimes when I get ready to pray, I'm, I'm convicted about the pathetic nature of my own prayer. God, I've lost my car keys. Can you help me find my car keys? You know, oh God, it's raining. Help me to find a parking spot near the front of Target here. You, you think about the almost insignificant type of prayer that we're offering up to God. Or, or as you're praying, you think about, you know, where's the power? Where, where's the life change? Where, where is the answers from God that I need in prayer? Hey, have you ever just got on your knees and got ready to pray, and you're like, I'm not even sure I know how to do this. I'm not sure I'm doing this correctly. I know for myself, and again, I grew up in church, have a little bit of some issues, you know, some baggage, uh, I have, for a good portion of my Christianity, treated prayer as a spiritual arm-twisting exercise where I'm twisting God's arm. Where, God, I'm going to talk to you for a minute and I'm going to do my best to make a good argument so I can convince you to do what I want you to do. And here's my argument. God, if you knew what I knew, then you would certainly do what I want done. And, and I try to make my best lawyer's argument, you know, and, and begin to try to manipulate God and convince God to get God to do what I want him to do. And when I find myself doing that in prayer, sometimes I'll just stop and say, sorry, God, what the heck's wrong with me? What is my problem that I'm trying to convince you to do what I want done and manipulate you to do it? Now, we all pray, I, I'm making a big assumption, we are Christians, and Christians pray, so I'm assuming everyone here prays, but what about power? What about prayer that has power? What about change? What, what about life change? And what about real answers to our prayers? Have you ever gotten ready to pray and just said, I feel like I'm going through the motions, I, I'm not sure I'm doing this correctly? If you've ever felt that way, then I want you to know you're not alone. Probably every Christian has felt that way at some point. And even the best of the best, the original disciples of Christ felt that way. I'm going to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to read for you. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. 
the place is not important. What's important is the fact that Jesus was praying. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, that right there, that, what you just did, that's, that's what I don't have. That right there, what I just witnessed, that's what I want for my spiritual life. That's what I want for my life. And when they heard Jesus pray, the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. So evidently, the disciples of Jesus felt much the way we feel about prayer. They were a little frustrated uh, and, and incompetent in their own prayers. They felt they were maybe a little childish or a little silly. After hearing Jesus pray, simply straight to the point with power, they're like, that's what we want right there. Lord, show us that again. Lord, teach, teach us how to do that. Because evidently, you know something about prayer that we don't know. What is it that we're missing? And their request is very straightforward. Lord, teach us. They wanted to know how. How to pray. Now what's interesting is when Jesus taught this lesson, I'm going to take you now to Matthew chapter number 6, where he taught the lesson on how to pray. And when he taught the lesson on how to pray, he began the lesson with how not to pray. He, he gave the negative first, and he said, let me first teach you what all the, the pitfalls are. Does that make sense? Uh, here's the mistakes you can make. Here's the bar ditch you can run into. Let me show you what not to do, and then I'll be easy to guide you on what to do. So first, how not to pray, and he gives this lesson. First of all, it's in verse number 5, Matthew 6, 5. Don't pray to be seen. Let me read it. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So the first lesson is how not to pray. These three words in the English may be seen. It's only one word in, in the Greek, phaeno. It means to shine, to show forth, to be in the light, to be in the spotlight. Does that make sense? Uh, don't pray like the hypocrites. They stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen. In their culture, it was not uncommon for someone to pray publicly and to pray in public, street corner, Jesus said, or standing in the synagogue, and when they made that public prayer, they were praying loudly with elaborate, uh, wordy type prayers. And Jesus said it's for show, that they may be seen, standing in the spotlight, performing in the spotlight. Notice up there too, the first phrase, Jesus called them hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. Hypocrites is the same word as actor. That's what it means. You wear a mask, you pretend to be something you're not. He said they're acting, guys. They're just putting on a performance. They're doing it to stand in the spotlight and to, to make a speech. And you're, you're looking at them and you're listening to them. And you're saying, oh, look how spiritual they are. That is their reward. As opposed to the answer to the prayer. 
The answer to the prayer is not their reward. The reward they're wanting is the praise of men. Now, let me go a little bit further. Verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, let me talk about praying in secret just for a moment. Uh, Most of these people lived in small one or two room dwellings, one or two room houses. For many of you who have visited other parts of the world and you've been in a very modest home that has a kitchen, living, and one bedroom, and that's it. The, 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 the toilet is out back. You have to walk for a while through the weeds back there. It's out back, separate building. These modest type dwellings in Asia, there might be, there might be eight or ten people living in that little modest one or two room dwelling. Now, when you live that way, there is no such thing as privacy. This is what I want you to understand. There's no such thing as privacy. In a small uh, village, like their context is, in a one or two room house, mom and dad can't find privacy, uh, children can't find, there's no such thing as privacy in that type of situation. And so, uh, you'll, if you ever see the pictures of the, the Jews praying, or for those of you who've traveled to Asia, if we're in an Asian service, if we're in Nepal, and I say, let's pray, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, all of the women will reach down and grab their, so they have a scarf, much like the green scarf you have around your neck right now, they'll grab that scarf and it'll come over the top of the head, they'll bow their head and completely cover their face and head. They're in there, like this. Does that make sense? in privacy, although you're in a public room. And when you see the Jews praying, the men will wear the prayer shawl with all the tassels around the bottom. And see, sometimes, the point is, sometimes underneath my prayer shawl is the only place I can be alone. Does that make any sense at all? It's the only time I can find privacy in a big, busy place. It's just to cover my head with my blanket and be alone here in my little two-foot square space with me and God. So when he's teaching on prayer, now I'm going to say this, doesn't mean that public prayer is wrong. There is a place for public prayer in the worship service. We've already prayed once this morning. We'll pray together again in a moment. There's certainly a place for public prayer. The point is this, if all, the only time you ever pray is in public, then you need to check about if your prayer life is healthy or not. Does that make sense? If the only time you pray is in public then what about your private prayer life? Is there such a thing in in your walk with God? Jesus is indicating here that the predominant portion of our prayer life is the private prayer life. Get alone with God. And it indicates that the basic portion of the Pharisees and the hypocrites' prayer life was standing before the spotlights to be seen of men praying big, elaborate, wordy type prayers lord teach us to pray okay here's the first lesson don't do it like they do it don't do it don't do it like they do it don't don't pray to be seen get alone with your father and he will reward you the verse says he will reward you the greek word for reward means to deliver again he will deliver again reward he will deliver again he will give Again, God, I'm coming to you in prayer. 
he's going to give again. Reward doesn't mean like bounty. It means like, uh, it means like I just keep, keep giving. Keep, re, re means again. Again I give. Again I give. Again I deliver. Again I pour my blessings out on you. When we pray in private, God blesses us and gives us rewards openly. In other words, you're praying in private, but the community is seeing your life being blessed by God. They're seeing how God is blessing your life. Uh, you, you, you're standing in the community. You're being rewarded. They see God's hand on you, and they see you're a blessed person. Then they never hear the prayers you pray out loud, but they see the results of the prayer in your life. They see how God is blessing your life. So one of the first lessons is you have to have, find a place where you can get isolation from the world and isolation from distraction and pray to your Father. And when you do, your Father will see you praying, He will hear you praying, and He will give to you again and again and again. The second lesson Jesus gave them. Again, we're on the don't do side. He said, don't use meaningless repetitions. Don't use meaningless repetitions. Now before I even teach this, uh, and I give you some strong language here, which uh, related to other religions. I want you to know that the evangelical Christians many times are guilty as the pagans about using vain repetition. Okay? So don't think I'm picking on one group. I'm picking on every group right now. Okay? So I'll come back to us in just a moment. Verse 7. Don't use meaningless repetition. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases... As the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, when you see the word Gentile in your New Testament, it means pagan. It's you. It's the, it's the Europeans, really, but it's the pagans. Well, we weren't Christians in those days. Our forefathers weren't Christians. They were idolaters. The Romans and the Greeks and all of those nations were pagans. And so when the Jews looked at uh, Europe or the surrounding countries, and they saw idol worshipers, pagans, Gentiles is what they called you. So when Paul's making a reference to the Gentiles, he's not talking about the Episcopalians and the Lutherans and the Catholics of Europe. He's talking about people who didn't even worship God. Does that make sense? They don't even know Jehovah God. They worship idols. Idolaters also pray. And so he's saying when you pray... Don't heap up empty phrases. Don't use lots of words like the pagans, like the idolaters do. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Now let me deal with this just for a moment. Sometimes we think if we had enough volume, if we just had enough words. Sometimes I hear preachers on TV and the radio saying, if you say it like this. As if that was a magic phrase, abracadabra, hocus pocus, then God has to respond. <coughs> God doesn't have to do anything, He's God. Let me be very clear this morning. God is God, and God will do what God wants to do. And through some hocus pocus, you're not going to twist God's arm to make it, oh, well, you said abracadabra, now I've got to do it. Okay, I see what you did to me there. No, God doesn't operate that way. He's sovereign. <laughs> he does what He wants to do. So magic words don't twist God's arm, if that makes sense. Uh, prayer is not about a book of spells. 
and a book of magic phrases, and you can use those on God. And, and if you do, well, then God's got to do what you tell him he has to do. That's nonsense. Sometimes, though, we slip back into our paganism. It must be in our genetic structure or something. Sometimes we slip back into our paganism where we'll be praying along and we think, well, if I can just elaborate this more clearly, if I could just articulate this in a better way, then God would see my point of view and he would bend to my will. Jesus said, stop it. Stop praying like that. The more repetitions you use, the less the words actually mean. Now, having prayed for my meals for 50 years multiple times a day, it's hard to come up with a creative prayer for lunch. Can anybody feel my pain? Y'all understand what I'm saying? And I find myself slipping back into the same three sentences uh, because I just don't know it. You know, I've thought about doing weekly prayers. God, for everything I'm going to eat this week, I'm going to go and bless it now because my creativity has run out. I'm truly thankful, and I want you to bless it and keep me healthy and strong, but... I just don't know how many more ways, you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying. So what Jesus is saying, though, is the more repetition you use, the less the words, the less it really means when you're talking to God. Now, having been able to travel a bit, when I've slipped into the Buddhist temple, and I've slipped in, and all the monks are in there, and the hundreds of candles are lit, and they're all on the floor. Just chanting over and over and over and over and for hours. The same phrases. This is the way the pagans pray. The prayer wheel is outside. It's a big cylinder with a prayer written on it. And I just spin the prayer wheels and spin the prayer wheels and spin the prayer wheels. And then I've said three prayers just like that. How cool is that? Maybe the Baptists need prayer wheels for lunch. Lord bless this food, and you just spin it, you know, and, and then you can eat your, your lunch. We're just as guilty is what I'm saying. Uh, not thinking about what we're really saying. Jesus said, don't pray like this. If you've ever gotten up close to a synagogue, uh, uh, a mosque, and you've heard them pray, the Muslims pray. This is the way they pray in repetition. Even before they detonate, they pray all the same way. They do, all the same way. Same repetition before they, before they go. This is the way Saul of Tarsus, as, as a, a Pharisee, as a Jewish terrorist, a terrorist of Judaism against Christianity, this is the way Saul of Tarsus used to pray in repetition before he became the Apostle Paul. I, I've been privileged to see so many of the great cathedrals, especially of Europe, Notre Dame in Paris, St. Peter's in Rome. Many of you have seen those, those great structures. St. Stephen's in Budapest. If you've ever been to Budapest, fantastic. St. Stephen's a beautiful, beautiful place. And if you can ever, there are more tourist venues than anything these days. But every once in a while, if you get over in a private alcove, you can hear somebody praying. And they're functioning. Some of them are still functioning churches. And if you can ever just kind of, you know, drift over there and, not be too obvious and just listen to the prayers coming you know our father chart in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done hail mary full of grace blessed be the fruit of thy wedding repetition 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 jesus said here's one of the big lessons on prayer stop it stop don't pray like that i want you to pray in a different way
I want you to pray to our Father, a Father with whom you have a personal relationship, and you can talk, you understand what Father means. You can talk to Him like your, like your Father, exactly. You can talk to Him like your Father. The recorded prayers of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the recorded prayers of Jesus are concise, personal conversations. I challenge you to read them. This week, John 17, be great reading for all of us. Concise, personal conversations. The longest running prayer of Jesus is John 17. It's the recording of his prayer to God, his Father. John chapter 17, as he bows his head and he begins to pray on the night of his arrest, the entire prayer as recorded in John 17 can be read in a minute and 45 seconds. Two minutes if you're a slow reader, three if you, you know, dyslexic or something, okay? But two minutes, you can read the prayer. Two minutes, you can read the longest running prayer of Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean he only prayed two minutes. It just means when you look at the verbiage of what he said as recorded, it runs about two minutes when you read it in your devotion time this week. So when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, don't use lots of words. That's not what prayer is about. Don't use meaningless repetition. That's not what prayer is about. And the third thing he said is don't pray to inform God. Now I find myself guilty of this almost daily. And I have to stop mid-sentence and say, God, sorry, forgot you were God there for a minute. Now, I have to repent of my prayers. That's how bad my life is, okay? Because even when I'm praying, I have to say, God, I'm sorry, I'm praying to you as if you don't know anything. Now, imagine how it would be if you had a conversation with your dad and you approached your dad as if he was stupid and was uninformed. And you said, Dad, I'm, I'm going to ask you for something, but first I need to clue you in the way the world works, Okay? Here's the way the world works. You understand the footing you're on is already weird, okay? So you're talking to God like a father, but don't pray to inform him. Verse 8, Matthew 6, 8. Do not be like them, for your father, for your father, what's the word? Let's say, for your father, yeah, see now, let this get down into your heart. You're talking to your father, and Jesus said, your father knows He knows what you need before you ask Him. This is what's wild about prayer. God wants us to ask Him, but He already knows what you need before you ask Him. And imagine how silly I look. God, get ready for this, because this is going to be a big revelation to you. Something just happened you don't know about, and I need to clue you in. Just imagine how ridiculous we must sound talking to God as if God, if we're informing him of breaking, breaking news, Fort Worth, Texas, something just happened that God was not informed about, so we're going to stop and catch God up on what's happening. No, God already knows what's happening. He already knows what we need before we ask him. So that begs this question, well, if God already knows what I need, then why do I have to ask? If God already knows what I need, then why do I have to ask? Here's the big answer. Because you're in a relationship, and the relationship demands that you must ask. Some people have, uh, 
there's a modern movement in America that says you don't have to confess your sins. Well, listen, they were all paid for at the cross, but you know the reason you need to come to God and talk about them? Because you're in a relationship with him. Listen, I don't suppose my wife's going to leave me. I pray she's not. Okay? We're in a permanent relationship. Okay? But if we transgress against each other, we need to come together and talk it out. Because we're in a relationship. And listen, when you break something, you know, and you're a little kid, the best way not to get clobbered is go talk to dad about it. Go talk to mom about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was throwing a football in the house like you told me not to. Yeah, I was testing out my curveball in the living room like you told me not to. And that vase, you, that's your prized possession you got for your you know, fifth anniversary. Yeah, it's, it's now super glued together and put, sitting on the mantel. Listen, it's best to talk it out. Why? Because you're in a relationship. And to ignore baggage, to ignore incidents in a relationship is where stuff piles up, and when stuff piles up, communication stops. Is that fair? It's about, true about a marriage, it's true about parenting, it's true about almost every relationship. If, if, if stuff starts piling up, communication will stop, and the relationship will grow distant, and then you've got real, real issues. Now, God loves us, we love Him, He died for us, our sins are paid for, I get it at the cross, but still, because there's a relationship... There must be ongoing conversation. So if God knows what I need before I ask, why do I have to ask so that you can come to God and acknowledge that He is the source of all the goodness and all the blessing in your life? That's why. Because we are not independent of God. We are not self-sufficient. We are not self-made men and women. We are dependent upon God Almighty for everything in our lives. James said every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above into our lives. And it's by coming to Him. Now you can say, God, now you already know what I'm going to ask and what I need. And I'm thankful that in your sovereignty, in your omniscience, you've already seen my situation but I'm coming to talk it out with you to talk about how you want to play it out from here forward. How do you want me to respond, God? Here's what I, my perceived need is. God, show me what is the way forward. You are the source of all of goodness and all the blessings in my life. Now, if you struggled in your prayer life, maybe some of these things have been a part of it. Just going through words or trying to find better arguments or trying to twist God's arm. Or you're coming and saying, okay, God... You know, I got my test results, and here's what the doctor said. God already knows about your test results. Now, you can talk it out with him, but don't try to inform him of something he doesn't know. As a matter of fact, maybe we even need to start practicing the language of, Father, I know you already know what my test results were. Can we talk about them for a few minutes? Because I don't know what to do now. I don't know the way forward from where I'm at right now. So... He says, don't, don't do these things. That's going to derail your prayer life. And then he gives his model prayer. Christ's model of prayer. It's in verses 9 through 13. Let me read the whole thing and I'll unpack it very quickly. Matthew 6 verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread. 
And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, it's not a prayer to be said over and over and over. He just told us don't do that. It's a model for prayer, if that makes sense. It's a model of how to pray. Outline, if you would, a talking points. This is the way to approach God. And when they heard Jesus pray, he was praying something like this. Father, and he was speaking in a, in a, in, in a conversational, relational way to God in heaven. And that's what they heard when they approached Jesus and said, that right there is what we want. What are you doing right there? Show us how to do, teach us how to pray. So let me unpack this. Verse number nine. First, declare God's greatness. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy is what it means, be your name. First of all, we need to understand there is a protocol. There's a protocol for approaching dignitaries. Is that fair? If you go to visit the, the, the queen, you would say your, your highness or your majesty. If you stand before the bar of justice, you're going to square your shoulders and say your honor. And you're going to take off your hat, by the way, when you do it. And if you don't, the bailiff will take it off for you. You speak with respect to that authority sitting at the bar of justice. There is a protocol for meeting Mr. President of the United States. There is a protocol for engaging in conversation with people who are dignitaries and who are powerful people. You know what Jesus taught us? There's a protocol for talking to God. And how blessed are you because here is your protocol for addressing the God of the universe. Padre Nuestros. Our Father. Not your grand, royal, holy highness. Do you understand what Jesus is saying to you? Here's the protocol. You ready? When you talk to God, you say this. Papa. Our Father. You get to talk to God like you're in a relationship with Him. Because you are. <laughs> now imagine when people who aren't try to talk to God as if they are. Imagine you're at a restaurant this afternoon and some kid walks across the res restaurant and says to you, Papa, you're like, kid, I don't know who you are. Okay? You know, Papa, Mama, you're like, no, your mama's over there somewhere. I'm not your mama. And you defer them. You redirect them. Imagine the silliness of, of people who are not in a relationship with God saying, Papa. It's interesting, isn't it? But for us who are in a relationship, imagine the privilege that you have to be able to walk into the, the kitchen and sit down, pull up a chair, and look across the room into the eyes and say, Dad, Father, our Father, Papa. Father, it means respect. It means trust. Especially in this culture, it means wisdom and authority and power. And God who created the universe and all that is in the universe has invited you to come boldly to the throne of grace and cry out to Him, Dad, I want to talk to you. Our Father, respectfully, our Father. Now don't rush this part. This may be the most important aspect of prayer right here. This uh, declaring God's greatness phase. Don't rush this. Declare God's greatness. Hallowed, 
holy is your name. Now I want to challenge you, for those of you who may be dubious about this, I would challenge you to go into the book of Psalms this week and begin to read from the prayer and song book of the Old Testament and watch how the psalmist and many of those are labeled a prayer of, a prayer about. As you read those prayers and those songs, watch how almost the entire song is this step right here. Praising God's greatness. Praising the attributes of God. Declaring the holiness of God. Declaring God's greatness. Step number two. Surrender your will. Verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Surrender your will. Notice when you're praying, Father, your will be done. Father, your kingdom come. Father, your your goals be advanced. Father, yours, not mine. Father, your will be done. Before we get to our needs and our wants, we must first remember to surrender to God's will. Now, I'm praying, obviously, because I have issues in my own kingdom. But before I get to my issues, I'm praying, Father, your will be done. Father, your goals be advanced. Father, whatever you want done, that's what I need to be consumed with, not what I want done. By the way, God, the more I am committed to advancing your kingdom, uh, the more blessed I'm going to be in my own kingdom. We need to be more consumed with advancing God's kingdom than advancing our own agendas. The purpose of prayer is to surrender to God. Prayer is not about imposing my will on God. Prayer is about letting God's will be done in my life. It's about letting Him transform me. Prayer is not about getting God through arm-twisting verbally to do my bidding. Prayer is about spending time with God until my plans come in alignment with God's plans and God's will. Wouldn't your life be more fulfilled? Wouldn't your life be more blessed if you just surrendered to God's plans? His plans are always the best plans for our life. Now, when it comes to praying like this now, I want you just to just give you some quick reminders At the tomb of Lazarus, where he's going to raise the dead, John chapter 11, Jesus prayed about 30 seconds. Father, I come now and I'm praying out loud, not because I doubt if you hear me, but I want all these people around me to hear me so that they know when whatever happens, happens in the next 30 seconds, that it was God that did it. That's basically his prayer. I'm praying this prayer out loud for the people to know that God is in control. And what's about to happen right here is a God thing. Thank you for what you're about to do. Amen. Lazarus, come forth. And the dead came to life. Now, he prayed that out loud. It took about 30 seconds or so for him to go through that prayer. But yet the night that he was about to be arrested, beaten, and crucified in the morning, yet that night, when it came to laying down his own life and surrendering his own will to the will of God, Jesus prayed for hours. Now that's curious. When it came to the raising of the dead, boom, 30 seconds, boom, the dead was raised just like that. You know what the bigger struggle was? God, this drive for self-preservation is big in a man. God, if there's any other way to do this, then let this cup pass from me. I don't look forward to being tortured all night. God, I'm not excited about having nails driven through my hands, suffocating 
in slow agony, beaten, stripped, humiliated, spit on, crown of thorns jammed through my... God, is there any other way to do this? And he prayed, and he prayed, and he went and talked to the disciples, and he came back and prayed, and he went and talked to the disciples, and he came back, and, and the Bible says he prayed, sweating as if it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground, until finally he prayed, okay, okay, not my will be done, but your will be done. You say, what's been happening through the struggle of prayer? He's surrendering his will to the will of the Father. Do you see that? Not my will be done, but your will be done. Ladies and gentlemen, that prayer works 100% of the time. 100% of the time. Because the purpose of prayer is to sink our hearts to the heart of God. Some are missing this kind of prayer life. Some are misusing prayer as a tool to manipulate God and get God to say yes to you. That's not what prayer is about. When prayer is meant as a tool to talk to God and to honor God and to get the will of God for my life, then when I'm finished I can say yes to God. When I say yes to God, then I'm rewarded with peace and the blessing of being in the will of God. Now, all of that's just the first part of prayer. Now, quickly, I can get to the us part. Here's the us part, and this is usually where we spend all of our time. We have it flip-flopped. That's what I'm saying. Here's usually where we spend most of our time in the us part, where we acknowledge our dependence. The first thing we do is pray for provision. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. He said, when you pray, it's okay to ask for God's provision in your life. You have needs, ask for God to meet your needs. So pray like this, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Now why only daily? Why only daily? Because daily keeps us in close relationship with God. Matter of fact, when the manna fell on the children of Israel, they were told every morning to go and collect the manna, and they were not to keep of it until tomorrow. If they did, it would breed worms and stink and and decay and fall apart, be full of maggots in the morning if you tried to keep it. It would dissolve into a gooey mess. God wanted them to get up every morning and acknowledge the blessings and the sustaining hand of God on their life for today and today and today and today and keep that relationship going, keep that communication going. Give us this day our daily bread. If you have needs today, by all means, get on your knees today and ask God to meet your needs. He will meet your needs. You're His child. I'm so sure of this. You're His child, and God will take care of your needs. So ask for provision. And then He said, ask for pardon, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors now it's written in a monetary way but contextualize it also as i have sinned i ask for your forgiveness and for the people who've wronged me father i forgive them it's a big principle in the bible by the way big principle in the bible that you're to forgive even as you are forgiven does that make sense christians are not to be grudge carrying and christianity are not compatible with each other If you've been forgiven, you're to be a forgiving person. So you ask for pardon. Father, forgive us as we forgive 
Then he said, thirdly, ask for protection, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. To pray, God, lead me not into temptation, implies that I'm not intending and planning to go sin today. I may sin today, but I'm not scheming it. Does that make sense? I'm not planning it. I may fall into temptation, but I'm not setting myself up intentionally to go be tempted. Instead, I'm praying, Father, lead me not into temptation. By the way, since the average age of the church is 33 and everybody's got a million kids, here's a great prayer to pray for your children. Father, lead my children away from temptation and deliver them from evil, even as you're praying for for your own self. It's a crazy world. Praying for protection is a really big thing these days. Father, lead us not into temptation. By the way, the Bible says God cannot be tempted with sin, neither tempteth he any man. But we are tempted when we are led away of our own lusts and enticed. Satan is called the tempter. He, he works on our uh, fleshly desires, on, on our pride of life, on our ego. He is the tempter. God doesn't tempt. But to pray, God, lead me away from temptation. Keep me away from Satan. Keep me away from evil. Protect me. That's a legit prayer that every one of us ought to be praying for ourselves and upon our family. You ready for the recap? That's how quick the lesson is. You ready for the recap? Here's the recap. Declare God's greatness. Surrender your will. Acknowledge your dependence. Now that's the shortest version recap of this lesson on how to pray. Declare God's greatness. Surrender your will. Acknowledge your dependence. And over here's, over here's where we're praying for ourselves, right here, where we're saying, God, I need provision and protection and pardon. Over here's where we're spending most of our time. Over here where's where we're surrendering our will. Grab a hold of these first three letters. It'll help you. D, S, and A. D, S, and A. It means don't start by asking. It's a great lesson on prayer. Don't start by asking. No, where are we going to start? We're going to start with our Father. Holy is your name. Declare God's greatness. I'm going to spend some time surrendering my will to God's will. And I'll do my asking over here at the very back. Don't rush the first part to get to your part. Matter of fact, you can pray your part in just a few minutes. If you spend the time over here talking about God and sometimes surrendering your will. Jesus spent a lot of time on surrender my will. And then finally he's like, okay, let's go. Let's, I got it now. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Prayer is, is, is on its way. The more time we focus on God, the less time we spend on our part. Now let me close it with this. No is also an answer a father might give. Are you a father or mother? If you've got young children, I remember Susan came crying to me one day just worn out. And I said, what's wrong, Susan? She said, all I ever do is say no. 24 hours a day, seven days a week to these two little demons. All I ever do is say no, 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 no. And she said, I just feel like it's the only word I know right now is no. I said, it's just where we are in life right now with them. It's just where we are in life. Some of you understand what I'm saying, don't you? No is also an answer a father or mother might give. Is it a legit answer? Yeah, it is. And if they want something and you say no, you usually have a very good reason for for saying no, don't you? Because it would hurt them 
or, or you see what I'm saying? It might be uh, not helpful. It might sidetrack what, what's happening in their life. There's a lot of reasons a parent might say, might say no. Not now is a legitimate answer a father might give. Dad, here's what I want to do. Not right now. What you're asking, you know what that means. What you're asking for is not a problem. There's nothing wrong with what you're asking for. But the timing is not right for that. Not now. Is that a legitimate answer? Now you understand, I'm speaking directly to your prayer life now. You may be asking for some things and you say, my prayer is not being answered. What if your prayer is being answered? And the answer is no. Are you okay with that? Letting God be God? Because as a parent, you ask your kids to be okay with that, don't you? And you say, well, trust me, I know best. Can we trust God this morning that he also knows best? And he knows what we have need of before we even ask. And if he says no, should we be able to say, okay, for some reason, that's not what God wants for me. I don't need to pursue that. That could be hurtful. Does that make sense? Or if we come to God and we say, God, okay, I'm, I'm ready for that promotion. I'm ready for that, buy that new house. I'm ready for that car. Or I'm ready for to make the next steps. Or I'm ready to pursue this. What if God's, you're saying, God, why won't you answer my prayers? And God's like, I am. Not now. Not now. And you may be asking yourself, why isn't the thing I've been asking for falling into place in my life? Maybe your father is saying to you, not now. Can you bow your head in this invitation in a few moments and say, Father, I've been ignored. Listen, have you ever told your kids no? And five minutes later they're like, hey, I want to talk about that again. No. But why? No. Why? no. And you're just like, again, you, you understand what I'm saying. I think sometimes we're doing that to God. Where God's saying, not right now. I love you. I know what you need. I, I'm going to bless I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. But not, the timing's not right for you. Just wait a little bit. I'm going to bless you. Just hold on a second. We're to pray so that God changes us, not so we can change God. We're praying, as Jesus taught us, Lord, your kingdom come. Will God's kingdom come? Yes, it will. We're told to pray, your will be done. Will God's will be done? Yes, it will be done. And here's my answer to you. How blessed are you that God has chosen to make you part of his kingdom and you part of his will and put you on the mission of making disciples? How blessed are you that what God's doing in Fort Worth, Texas, he's chosen you to be his partner? He's chosen you to be His body. He's chosen you to be the hands and feet of the kingdom of God. You're the hands and feet of Christ. And he's, when you're praying, your will be done, you're saying, God, here we are. When you're praying, your will be done, you understand what you're saying? I don't even know what your will may be for tomorrow, but the answer is already yes. That's the way God's children pray right there. We don't say, God... Send me an email detailing all of the specifics. And I'm going to read that and have my attorneys read it. And if we agree that your plan is best, well, then I'll sign up. No, what God's children do is they say, Father, not my will, but your will. I may not even know how it's all going to play out, but my answer to you is yes. I surrender myself to your will. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. Let's, let's just talk to God as our Father for a few minutes.
We're so accustomed to praying to change outcomes. This is a big shift for us. This morning, we're not trying to change outcomes as much as we're saying, God, change us. God, change me. God, bring my heart and my thinking in alignment with your heart and your thinking. You may have come into the house of God this morning. We've had a lesson on prayer. But maybe you can't call him Father because you've never received Christ as your Savior. I want to invite you this morning to open your heart to Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. If you've never received him as your Savior, I want you to be willing this morning to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. The way you're going to do it is through a prayer. Through a prayer of faith. You're going to put your trust in Jesus Christ this morning. If you're ready for that step, I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. Pray like this. Our Father, God, I come to you this morning acknowledging that I'm a sinner. And this morning I declare to you that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross in my place as my substitute was buried and rose again to be my living Savior. And this morning, I put all of my trust in Jesus Christ for my righteousness. I put my trust in the sinless sacrifice of Christ. And I ask you this morning to forgive me of my sins. God, I accept your forgiveness. Wash me, cleanse me, make me clean and whole. Give me a new life in Christ this morning. I accept you, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and my Savior from sin. From this moment, I want to live for you. And I want to be able to call you, God, my Father. Thank you this morning for saving me and adopting me into your family so that I have the privilege to call you Dad. This is my prayer of salvation. I pray in Jesus' holy name. All heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, or you prayed that prayer in some other service and you've never, ever shared that decision, I wish you'd slip out of your seat this morning and come and take the hand of one of these workers on the front row and just say, I prayed that salvation prayer. And I put my faith in Christ. The Bible says in Romans 10 that you need to declare to someone openly that you've received Christ if you've never done that do that today in this next few minutes I'm going to ask everyone to stand to their feet and I'm going to lead you in a, in a group prayer this morning as we bow before God let me, let me give you some language let's pray together Holy Father I ask your forgiveness this morning for making time for everything in my life except you. God, I've made time for everything. But God, I haven't made time for you. God, forgive me of that. God, I know you already know this, but I haven't made prayer time a priority in my life. 
I haven't made alone time with you a priority in my life. And because I haven't, God, I've not been consistent in prayer. And I want to confess that this morning. Further, God, I want to tell you that when I do try to pray, God, I get so distracted. So many things scream for my attention and they distract me from you. God, I want to apologize for that. God, I've got to do better at finding a quiet place. Lord, this morning I'm asking you to help me make this a priority, that I would find a quiet place apart from distractions, and I would set a time where I could meet with you and talk with you every day without interruption. Lord, I do want to talk to you. God, I do want a relationship with you that's close and intimate. God, I know that prayer is essential for my spiritual growth. So God, this morning I'm making a commitment to prayer in my life. Listen, all over the room this morning, could everyone pray, God, I'm making prayer a priority in my life. Father, you, you've heard the hundreds and hundreds of prayers coming up before you this morning. Hundreds of people, Lord, acknowledging, Lord, our inadequacy in this matter of prayer. Lord, not just about length of time, but just inconsistency. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we try to make a fresh commitment. Holy Spirit, that you would help us find the place, find the time, make the commitment to talk to you daily. God, you've taught us a lot of things this morning about how to pray. Lord, as we begin to pray this week and we revert back to our old habits, God, I pray that you'd jolt us out of that and we would remember what we've talked about. Don't start by asking. We declare the holiness and the greatness of God and surrender our will to you. Lord, before we get to the asking part of our prayer, Lord, we acknowledge that you are God and we love you. God, you're more to us than just a checkbook. God, you're more to us than a genie that grants wishes. You're our God. You're our Savior. And God, where we've treated you like a bellhop just to bring us things, God, we repent of that. We're sorry for that. God, where we've prayed and tried to inform you about the happenings down here on planet Earth, God, forgive us of treating you so disrespectfully. God, for invoking your name and just babbling a bunch of words that meant nothing to us. God, forgive us of such paganistic approaches to prayer. God, we speak from our hearts this morning when we say we repent of this. God, give us a fresh start in prayer this week. That's our prayer as a family of God in Jesus' name.